Hello, hello, and welcome to Coffee Stained EDU Podcast. This is your host, Geneva Rodriguez, and I am coming to you with the last episode from our Tackling the Dinosaur Rubric series. It consists of four seasons, sorry, my bad, four, <laughs> four episodes, and this is the fourth one, which concludes this series. I hope you guys uh, found this series helpful and you were able to take some of my tips and advice and apply it to your instructional practices. Or if you didn't, that you were able to find someone to share this with because we know that we should share what we know so that we can support other educators in their practices so that students are achieving and succeeding. So season three, sorry, why do I keep saying season? Um, let me let me dial back before I t- jump into the topic. Um, I mean, dive into the episode. So, as you know, if you are a listener first, I want to say thank you for being so dope, for being um, a supporter, for listening, for your continuous um, support, suggestions, and feedback for um, this podcast. And also, I would throw in there what I usually throw in my episodes. I do not edit my episodes. I record it. I upload it and it's out in the world and you just take it for what it is Um, you're gonna receive just me you know raw and authentically I just want you to really connect with me on a personal level um, and really just know and believe and understand that this is just my truth, this is what I'm choosing to share with you, this is from my knowledge, from my experience in the classroom as a, as a leader, again, I'm only two years in, as you guys know, if you have listened to my previous episodes. So this is just, you know, my journey, and I'm sharing it with you guys, and when I, you know, it feels good to me when I can support someone else in their journey, their educational journey, their leadership journey, um, their teaching journey, however you want to, um, phrase it so I decided to go into the Danielson rubric because that is the framework that we use in New York City to rate our teachers in the classroom and um, I remember when I became a teacher it was you know a little nerve-wracking nerve-wracking or racking I always get that one confused I think it's racking (laughs) nerve-wracking I used to always just get nervous and scared and, and look at this rubric as a monster right something that cannot defeat something that's gonna always have control over me something that's I'm gonna be judged with right and um, I, I was scared of it and it was because I had no knowledge of it I just knew that administrators would come in and they would use this rubric to uh, rate my on um, the level of effectiveness I guess in the classroom and um, I my first few years, it was scary because we didn't really, you know, in, the, in our teaching program, we heard about it, we learned about it, but it wasn't really like mm-hmm. a class that I can recall where we really dived deep, deep and dissected this thing and really broke it down, right? When you look, when you can, when you break down things, you become familiar with it, you become comfortable with it, you, you feel that it's, you're capable um, to use it or to, to be judged on it, right? Like a rubric when... We are. Um, we write papers in school. When we understand what the rubric is asking for, we can better um, align what we're doing to that rubric, right? And our goal is to be effective. Our goal, our goal is to get a four. Um, you know, if the rubric is one to four, whatever. Our goal is to always get the highest 
rate possible. And as educators, that sh that's what we should strive for as well. And not just so that we look good on paper, but because we know that in this field, we, we are doing it for the kids. And hopefully, if you're in this field, you know that you're doing it for the kids, right? Um, we are in the business of educating. We are in the business of preparing our, our students for the future, for the world, right? To better equip them with the skills they need to be productive in society, right? So this rubric is um, a lot of states use it, but oh, a lot of states use this. Sorry, one of my pictures fell off the wall. A lot of states use this rubric, um, and I just felt like it's important for if you are a teacher and you are being rated on this rubric that you understand what the rubric the rubric expects of you, right? You understand and really have a you have a full and clear understanding and picture of what administrators are looking for when you go into the classroom. So this is why I decided to do this series. It's only four series. It's only four episodes because. The rubric has those four domains, planning and preparation, classroom environment, instruction, and professional responsibilities. So if you've been listening to my podcast and you know that I already have the first three domains out there, the episodes, and today we are wrapping it up with the fourth domain, which is professional responsibilities. And what does that mean? So I'm going to pull up the rubric. If you want to see the rubric, um, if you are a DOE teacher, then you should have that rubric with you, you should be reading it, you should fully understand it, um, so that when you're planning and preparing lessons, you are um, making sure you're covering all the areas, right? Um, for planning preparation, classroom environment, instruction, and professional responsibilities. So, the rubric, pulling it up right now, I'm gonna read to you ver verbatim what domain four is professional responsibilities the description is so if you have the, if you have the rubric I'm looking at um, page three summary of the four domains accomplished teachers have high ethical standards and a deep sense of professionalism focused on improving their own teaching and supporting the ongoing learning of colleagues their record-keeping systems are efficient and effective, and they communicate with families clearly, frequently, and with cultural sensitivity. Accomplished teachers assume leadership roles in both school and projects, and they engage in a wide range of professional development activities to strengthen their practices. Reflection on their own teaching results in ideas for improvement that are shared across professional learning communities and contribute to improving the practice of all. Oh, a mouthful. Sounds like a lot, but it's already things that you are possibly already, that you are doing already, right? Possibly. I'm going to say possibly because a lot of teachers are not really familiar with what's expected from this domain, right? And even me as an administrator, I learned a little bit more about this domain from my mentor this year. Now we're going to dive into that component. What does it mean? Your professional responsibility. Professional responsibilities. So as I scroll down. Okay. So some indicators include frequent teacher attendance in courses and workshops. 
regular academic reading. Participation in learning networks with colleagues. And you freely share what you've learned, freely shared insights. Participation in professional organizations supporting academic inquiry, right? So what does that look like? What are some examples of that? All right, so now I'm going down into the chart that has ineffective developing effective and highly effective in 4E, which is growing and developing professionally. So some possible examples are teachers attend district optional summer workshops, right? So we know now um, if you will work, if you work for the DOE, um, there's uh, many districts around the city that are are shifting and changing curriculums and we are um, starting that transition now with professional developments we're diving into the new curriculum figuring out how it works and all that good stuff so here they have optional summer workshops so teachers eagerly attend workshops in the summer to learn about new curriculums or, or just a workshop that's going to help them in with instructional strategies right you, you willingly attend these workshops in the summer because you know that it's going to be beneficial to you and your practices in the school year. Also, sharing that information, right? You are open to sharing this information with your colleagues. You might turnkey this information, right? You might create a Google document, sorry, a Google Slides with a presentation or a PowerPoint, whatever you prefer. I'm a Google girl. <laughs> I'm a Google girl. Um, so I like Google Slides. Um, possibly making a Google Drive, a Google document, um, not a Google Drive, yeah, a Google folder that you share with your colleagues with all the information that you take that you get from that workshop talking to your admin and that, and possibly um conducting a pd for your staff for the student for the staff sorry for the staff and the teachers based on what you learned from the workshop right so going taking that extra step going above and beyond and taking our workshop by choice right now you're not being voluntold to do this you're choosing and then you're choosing to share what you learn with your colleagues Teachers join certain partnerships in the school so that they have access to resources that they can use in the classroom that they know that students are going to benefit from, right? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of these programs, for example, we have a science cluster program. Some teachers have participated in um, partnerships with Botanical Garden, right? So they attend workshops and they are given resources and tools and information that they bring back to their grades and they share with their students, they share with their colleagues, right? So that's effective. Teachers seek out opportunities for professional development to enhance content knowledge and their skills. Teachers actively engage with colleagues and supervisors in professional conversations about their practices, including feedback about their practices. You have to be receptive to feedback about your practices. You might want to volunteer an administrator to come in or a coach to come in to observe a lesson so that they can, for the specific, for the specific purpose of obtaining feedback, so you can improve your practices. Teachers partic participate actively in assisting other educators and looks for ways to contribute to the profession. So participating in reviewing curriculums that we're going to be implementing, you know, in, the, in the, the next school year. Participating in joining 
uh, equity team, right? To, to go over scorecards, right? These are just some examples from my school. These are things that's going to show that you are trying to grow and develop professionally because you are offering, you are volunteering your time to these services, to these programs, to these workshops, right? This will make you an effective teacher in this domain. Now, what will make you ineffective? A teacher is not involved in any activities that might enhance knowledge or skills. The teacher doesn't discuss or avoid any types of conversations with supervisors or colleagues based on uh, that discuss their performance in the classroom. The teacher ignores invitations to join professional organizations or to attend conferences. You might attend these workshops, right? Because you're told to, or you're asked to, your principal administrator signs you up for it, you attend, but you don't make use of any of the material you receive. So you're there, it goes from one, from in one ear and out the other ear. You don't come back to school, you don't share any information, or we don't see it in your practices when we come to check in on your class, right? There's no sign of what you learned in those workshops in your instructional practices. A teacher that is reluctant, sorry, a teacher reluctantly, re reluctantly accepts feedback from supervisors and colleagues. Tongue twister right there. That happens a lot. There are a lot of educators that are not open to feedback. A lot of educators are very defensive to feedback. And that is such a horrible trait and approach as an educator i'm gonna tell you that right now straight straight out like that as in, from an administrative perspective when i was a teacher oh i was open to that feedback and i i understand that it might be the the tone that's being used the language that's being used absolutely absolutely because even now as an administrator i receive feedback but it it it, it, it is all about the tone and you're more receptive to listening and, and taking that feedback when the person comes to you the right way, right? Like check your tone when you're giving somebody feedback. Check your approach, check your body language, check the language that you are using. Are you being very demeaning or degrading? You know, are you, are you wording it to where you're making sure this teacher, this person knows that you are giving them this feedback because you want them to grow, that you, you see the potential, right? There's, there's so many ways you can do this. And if you want buy-in, if you want someone to really believe that you're there to support them and help them with this feedback, that you're gonna check the way you deliver that feedback, okay? So that is very important when you are trying to give feedback because yeah, some teachers might not be re receptive to that because of how you came at them with it, right? Um, and regardless, we're humans, so yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Educators should be open to this feedback, but we also have to check ourselves as supervisors. How are we giving that feedback, right? Because it can, it can make things worse or it can make things better, right? Um, I'm, I'm very mindful of how I, I talk to teachers. I try to talk to teachers the way I wanted to be spoken to when I was in the classroom, you know, and I have... I have an advantage because I'm only two years in as an administrator, but I do feel that there are some administrators that get lost in that mix, right? They get lost in the sauce. 
lost in the sauce. Uh, I crack myself some, up sometimes. They get lost in the sauce of being an administrator. They get lost within the, the years, the politics, the paperwork, the being out of the classroom. They tend to lose sight of their purpose. They tend to lose sight of the reason why they, became, they came into this position. They tend to forget that they were in that classroom at one point and they didn't, you know, they, they possibly didn't like the way the administrator talked. They possibly didn't like how they, they received feedback, right? So I, I don't wanna be that person and I constantly say that and I constantly have to sit and remind myself of the reason why I became an administrator. And um, again, like I said, I have an advantage because it's only two years in, but I pray and hope that in 10 years I am still handling things the way I'm handling them um, because I oh if not that someone checks me on that because it's not okay it's not okay um, I, I try to you know um, I want teachers to trust I want teachers to believe that I am there for them I'm there to support them um, and they're not going to hear that if I come at them sideways if I come at them with an attitude I have a, a certain tone if I talk to them very condescending right so some condescending like I don't want to do that I, and I try my best not to do that I feel like I've been doing pretty good so far um, but if I haven't and you are listening and you are a teacher that I came at sideways, please let me know. I'm all about growth. I'm all about learning. I'm all about accepting that I am not perfect and um, there's always room for growth, okay? So it's very important that you are, um, you're open to feedback. If you are a teacher and you give pushback to feedback, if, you, if you're giving feedback and you don't really take it and apply it to your practices, that's going to make you a developing teacher. I'm sorry, because as educators, we have to accept that we are lifelong learners. We have to accept that there's always something to learn and grow from. Um, no two students are the same, so we have to accept that something might have worked last year or yesterday with students, and it doesn't work now. And if someone sees that, in an observation or a walkthrough whatever the case may be and they say hey maybe try this or hey you were doing this before what happened blah blah whatever um it seems to be an effective way to do things you should be open to that you should be receptive to that you should be able to check yourself you should be able to reflect on your practice and see what areas need to you know can can be uh modified or improved or whatever right um the teacher finds limited ways to assist other teachers and contribute to the profession. So you do the bare minimum. You don't participate in, in um, lesson planning with your grade. You don't participate in, in planning, uh, I don't know, in discussing best practices with your grade. You know, it's great when our grades can work as a community together. We see the damage it causes when our grades cannot work together. And it happens. We have, you know, we do, we, we have our... We have our own ways of teaching and working and moving and sometimes personalities just do not work and we get that but let's focus on the kids the kids the kids let's keep the kids at the center of everything let's be professional and just do what we have to do for our kids cannot work in isolation we cannot work in isolation we need to be able to work collaboratively and know that that's the way a school is going to function properly Let's see what I have on my slides here for this last episode. So for E is growing and developing professionally. Here are some bullets that I have. How are you growing as an educator? Do you attend workshops, trainings? Do you plan with colleagues? Do you seek your own professional development? Do you attempt to implement suggestions made by administration? Do you learn, do you learn best practices from colleagues and complement into your own practices. Sorry, not compliment, implement. <laughs> Typo. 
implement into your own practices? These are some questions that you should ask yourself as an educator. This falls under professional responsibilities. Component 4E. So, do you participate in classroom intervisitations? Are you open to attending? Do you volunteer to go to intervisitations and other classes or visit other classes that have best practices so you can learn something new and apply it to your practices? Do you offer your class for intervisitation? These are some things you got to think about. Do you implement best practices based on those visits or something that you've learned in a professional development? Do you attend in and out of school workshops willingly, eagerly, right? <laughs> um, and are you receptive to feedback? That's very important. All, those, all of those are criteria or indicators of effective teachers in the, in, in the fourth domain. So I think that wraps it up for this. It, it wraps up episode four from our series tackling the Danielson rubric. And again, like practice makes perfect and becoming familiar with what the rubric is asking is going to really help you in your practices. If you know what's asking and if you're not sure what's a- what it's asking, ask questions. I, I highly recommend and highly, um, how can I say it? I, I want, to, <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. I want teachers to question what I give them, right? Um, I, I don't want teachers to just be content with if they got a developing or they got an ineffective. Um, being content with that, it's a little alarming, right? Because we're all teachers, we are here for the kids. If you're content with a developing, then what kind of instruction are your students getting, right? Are they really learning? Are you just comfortable with getting a developing and we have you in front of our children? It's a little alarming. Um, you know, if you get all effective and you challenge that, then I'm just like, all right, like we could do this. <laughs> I got my evidence because I make sure I'm ready for when I do my observations. I have enough evidence from the lesson, specific times, you know, scenarios, whatever they give me from that lesson. Because um, I have to be ready with those things, right? And have reason and justification as to why I give you what I give you. But if you want to challenge an effective, and again, it's all about your approach, right? Like, if you want to be highly effective and you come at me like, oh, Ms. Rodriguez, you know, I, I, I agree, I was, in high, I was an effective, I, I received an effective in this component, but um, what can I do to get highly effective, right? So then, fine, let's sit, let's do this. I love that, you know what I'm saying? We'll take out the rubric, we'll highlight, we'll, we'll write down some ideas for different lessons um, and how that would look, right? I love that because that shows that you're trying, you're, you want to do better, you want to be better, and you want to get the highly effective. And if you're getting highly effective, our students are getting effective instruction, and it's just like a beautiful thing all around, right? Um, you know, but then there are some teachers that get effective and they're just like, oh, I think I deserve highly effective. I did this, boom, 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 whatever. And, um, it, it really is hard to get a highly effective. You have to, you have to cover all those indicators in that highly effective box. So I'll break it down with you. I'll go through it with you. Um, and I still respect you for doing that because 
you I want teachers to feel comfortable enough to do that teachers are sometimes scared right they're timid they feel nervous about administrators and they don't speak to them like that and if you can come to me professionally and respectfully and and want to have this conversation about your ratings by all means yes we're doing it okay because I am here to support you I'm here as your instructional coach I'm here to help you become effective highly effective educators because we're going to as children get the best when our teachers are at their best okay so I suggest that you guys really go through if this is the rubric that's being used um, to rate your performance in the classroom I suggest that you really go through this rubric and break it down and dissect it in this you know the rubric you can easily find it online they have a PDF format and go through it go through the, there's a, on page 20 there's a cheat sheet which is pretty awesome um, I added I added this rubric to the website coffeestains.org coffeestains.org you can find it right there and page 20 has a cheat sheet and it basically basically <laughs> gives you um, different areas within those components right so for example um, domain one is planning and preparation and it gives you little bullets. So you have knowledge of the content and the structure of the discipline. Um, you have knowledge of prerequisite relationships and you make connections to those during your lesson, right? Um, and if you go back to episode one, I broke, I went that, I went, I dived a little bit deeper into that. So you get, I gave some examples and all that good stuff. Um, one uh, E is designing coherent instruction. You got to focus on those learning activities, make sure that is aligned to the learning objective, that the material and resources are supporting all your learners, that there's different material and resources. You have groups and there's reasons behind your groups, data, everything should be data driven, right? And the structure of your lesson. So all of that is under designing, um, planning, preparation, domain one. Domain two, again, this is from page 20, so I'm reading right from it. Um, the teacher interactions and students include both words and actions. Interaction between the students, um, including both words and actions, right? So we're looking at how the teacher interacts with students and how students interact with one another, which is very important. That's creating an environment of respect and rapport. Then we have managing student behavior. What are the expectations? Are we... Are they clear? Is the teacher monitoring student behaviors? How is she doing that? Is it taken away from instruction time or, the, or there's already plan, systems in place that teacher, students are already aware of, right? And how does the teacher respond to those behaviors? That's two, domain two. Domain three is a little bigger, it has, is, is instruction and it has three different um, areas. It has 3B, which is using questioning and discussion techniques. 3C, engaging students in learning, and 3D is using assessments and instruction. So with 3, 3B, using questioning, what kind of questions are you using? Are they clear to the students? What type of prompts are you using? Are you differentiating those questions? Are you scaffolding those questions for your students? What kind of discussion techniques, right? We want student-to-student -student interactions. We want less teacher, more students. So turn and talk. So what discussions um, techniques are you using? Are you giving opportunities for students to talk and share out? Um, and what supports are you providing for that? And student participation. We just don't want students sitting there in front of you, not speaking, not engaging, right? So we want to make sure students are really engaging in that lesson with conversations. They're participating. They feel safe to participate. And you're, giving, you're opening up the space for them to participate. Um, engaging students, again, with the activities and assignments. We want the groupings to, to align to the needs of the students and to the levels of the students. That way they can um, have access to the material, to the lesson, to the curriculum, and they are able to um, produce and um, work towards their goals. We want to make sure that we have instructional materials and resources that align to the top, the, to the skill that they're learning, 
and provides them the opportunity to create to to master those skills that you're trying to get them um, to um, master in within that learning objective or um, they want you want them to meet that learning objective you have to make sure the material are aligned the materials are aligned and there's resources provided whether it's an anchor chart whether it's manipulatives um, we want student choice we need differentiated worksheets right all that good stuff you want to be mindful of the structure and pacing right it's important to um, allow enough time for students to be challenged and um, to answer the questions but you also don't want to take too long um, you want to be mindful of the wait time <coughs> excuse me, the wait time as well when you're asking questions and the students have enough time to complete the tasks as expected of them assessment is big right what how are you assessing your students how you know that they're getting what they're supposed to get in that lesson um, and how you're using those assessments to um, guide your instruction moving forward. We wanna give specific feedback to students. That's why it's important for teachers to circulate to the groups. It's important for teachers to know their students so they know what kind of questions they're asking and they can provide them appropriate feedback um, to support them in completing the task that's in front of them, right? How are you monitoring student learning? Are you conferencing? Are you collecting data? Um, are students self-assessing and they're monitoring their own progress? Are they using checklists? Do they have a rubric? Are they monitoring and assessing each other, right? This is all under domain three. And then domain four is professional responsibilities. Uh, being receptive to feedback from colleagues, from co coaches, from administration. Um, what services are you doing in the profession and how are you enhancing your content knowledge and your skills as an educator? So um, whew, I went over time. I'm right 30 minutes, but like I usually say in the beginning, which I don't think I did this time around, I try to keep my um, episodes 25 minutes or less because I know we are all busy. We have things going on and I want it to, I want the information to really be delivered and received. I want it to be delivered from my end and received on your end and you're able to apply it to your life and your practices. And, but I just don't want to just be too wordy and just be out there. Sometimes it happens because I'm part of Reiki and I talk real, I talk a lot, but I try to talk fast too. And I hope you still understand me with me talking fast. Um, and the little accent I have, cause I know you hear it. But um, yeah, sometimes I go over and you know, it's, it depends on the topic. And I feel like with the Danielson rubric is very important because I know I've, I've spoken to many teachers and they're scared. This, you know, this is a rubric that's, that's judging and evaluating and rating their practices. And you know, some teachers are nervous, they're scared about this. And, and it really does beat them up if they get a, a rating that they feel that they didn't deserve or a rating that they feel that, yeah, maybe they did need. Um, but like how do they get out of that right so i think it's important as administrators as well like if you're rating when you're rating your teachers that you're giving you you're being very gentle and understanding when you're giving them this this rating and try to be try to keep a mindset of being a teacher right thinking of a te being sorry remembering when you were a teacher and when you received certain feedback right um you want to offer your support you want to say okay you know you this area was um, developing and this is the reasons why give suggestions of how they can improve that as a teacher how do they think they could have improved that right maybe some I always start my, my meetings with how do you think it went is there anything you would like to improve do you, is anything that you're really proud of um, talk to me about it right like I try to I try to start it as like that with a conversation just to get a feel an idea and I love when what they say aligns to what I wrote in the in the in the observation because it just it's the the conversation goes so much more smoothly right so much more smooth when it doesn't align that's where it's like oh you know so I'll let them speak I'll take notes and then uh, you know I do I do acknowledge like oh yeah you know what 
I'm glad you know you said that because I really didn't notice that and the way you said it, blah blah whatever. Like I would acknowledge that. Um, if they don't, if they don't really mention what I felt was an area that needed um, growth or was uh, an area that needed improvement, then I would ease into that. You know, after they say what they said, I'm like, I, you know, I go over my, I go over the their ratings and and then I let them know, you know, this area I didn't feel was too, you know, that um, this is an area that I feel that need, needs growth. This is the reasons why. And again, whenever I'm getting the Whenever I'm giving any rating, I try to give as much evidence as possible. Possible. When I'm giving developing and ineffectives, I give even more examples. And in my next steps, I'm breaking down exactly what it should look like, uh, what you should do, and how to and how how that's going to get done. And if you look. If you read, if you go through my episodes, I have an episode that's called action plans for summer. You know, I feel like an action plan is, is a great tool to use when you are trying to um, coach teachers that are, that have areas that need some growth, right? That need some improvement and all educators have areas that they need some improvement in, right? We're not all experts in this, in, in what we do. But um, there's some teachers that just need a little bit more help and support. And if you listen to the action plan, when I do feel like it's very, you'll get a better understanding of the supports I try to provide my um, teachers and how I do that, right? I want both of us to be held accountable. I want you to really trust that I am there for you. I am your instructional coach. I am here to help you improve in what and all your in your practices and this is how we're going to do that right we're going to dive in and focus on we're going to have one focus point and then we're just going to break that down and figure out how that's going to look in the classroom how can you improve that and then how we can um shift that rating um and have you earn an effect uh, an effective and a highly effective and get away from that ineffective and developing and um, I feel like it's a great tool. It has been very effective. I've seen it working wonders this year. My teachers are are lovely. They're very op they're open to learning and growing. And I have built these re relationships with them where they they know they can trust me in coaching them and guiding them and becoming effective teachers. So I think it's important that you really learn this this rubric if you are if, a, if you are a teacher in the doe or you're a teacher in a school district that uses dennis in your rubric my challenge for you with this episode as i wrap up this series of tackling the danielson rubric is to become familiar with the rubric dissect it make this your homework over the weekend really break down and un have a true understanding and again look at one of your lessons right we have to always reflect on our practices. That's the only way we're going to improve. Look at one of your lessons and align your lesson to the rubric and see what areas you feel like, ooh, like, you know what? I could have done better in this one. Or, ooh, this area was really dope. I did really well, right? Like, you got to acknowledge those, those things, too, because you are where you are for a reason. I'm sure you are dope in what you do, and you have your strengths. You have your areas where you are just, like, the shining star. And then we have these areas that we just need a little work in, because we all do. I do, too. I don't be trying to walk around front and, like, I'm perfect. No, I have areas that I need to grow in. But um, that's going to be left for another episode. <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up, because I'm already going. I told you I could ramble. I can go on and on and on. I'm already 35 minutes in. But I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all my listeners for um, tuning in and listening to my episodes. Um, this was episode four of our Tackling the Danielson Rubric series. And it is a wrap with this season. And I am just looking forward to the next episodes that are coming your way. 
um, you can find the rubric, the Denison rubric on our website, which is www.coffeestain.org. You can also find the um, slideshow, which breaks down the things that I spoke about and some examples of what this looks like in the classroom. And that is also under the resource tab on the website. Again, that's www.coffeestain.edu. I mean, sorry, not edu, coffeestain.org. If you want to find us on Instagram, it's coffeestains underscore edu. Again, that's coffeestains underscore edu. You can follow us so that you can keep up to date with all the episodes that are coming out or any other resources that I choose to share. You can message me on there if you have any suggestions for um, topics for our podcast you can listen to us on spotify you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, and you can listen to us on amazon music i suggest that you subscribe because then you'll get the alert that a new episode is out and again thank you for being a listener thank you for tuning in and it's a wrap